do with my one wild precious life you ask I'll tell you what I'll do I will record a podcast at the Tampa airport I've been stuck here for a couple of hours now I'm waiting for my wife and mother-in-law their flights were delayed so we were all supposed to rendezvous here in Tampa and uh, I've been just killing time walking around uh, a few interesting tidbits have crossed my mind in the last day or so. First of all, just one thing about airports that drives me insane is the assault on one's attention. Um, Sort of the default mode is just there has to be, you know, crappy music playing or CNN is on the TV. There's no place in the airport that you can just have silence and, uh, you can probably hear the crappy music in the background, and I'm way, way at a gate where there's no one, so I'm pretty isolated right now. It's a fairly empty airport, but it is one of the things that drives me crazy about airports. If it's not just absolute hustle bustle and chaos, if it's anything less than that, then you have to hear the radio and the and the television and everything. It's just. And the occasional, uh, the occasional call from airport personnel. So anyway, I am, uh, I'm reminded of something that the computer science, the computer scientist, uh, Cal Newport mentioned, and, uh, he was talking about, uh, the need for solitude in one's life and, he defines solitude as uh, not being influenced by others' minds. So listening to a podcast, reading, that wouldn't count as solitude in Newport's definition because you're, you're taking in content from another's mind. Solitude just is your own mind playing out in your head. And there's something about allowing that uh, to wind down without any more input that's um, that's useful. And I have to agree, and I have not been living this way at all. I have been, uh, for sure, ODing on constant input, even when I'm by myself. I'm just very consistently, I've got 
my phone with me when I go to the bathroom. I'm constantly looking at things, listening to podcasts, listening to music. So I, I try to make some time. Uh, when I go for a walk, for instance, I don't typically listen to anything or go for a run. But uh, yeah, that this this craving for solitude and this era of just constant noise and distraction is um it's a real thing so cal newport's somebody that i've been pretty interested in lately and there's been there's been some other folks that uh have made similar points there's a guy i believe his name is srinivas rao i could have his name wrong he has a creativity podcast he also has made this point about um balancing consumption and creation. I think I, I've made this point myself, even using those same terms. But when you're consuming and consuming and consuming, and you don't have, uh, if not an equivalent, at least a balanced output to go with all that input, uh, there's yeah, there's a sense of dis-ease and imbalance that can definitely set in. And it's hard to do deep work to take another term from Cal Newport deep sustained work or sustained focus on anything if you're just constantly inputting and you're not digesting that information and and putting things together creatively and 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 putting out something of your own it just feels like it's difficult to leave to lead any kind of creative life um, one other thing as I'm just going through all the various input uh, sources from the last couple of days. On the plane, I was listening to a podcast between Julia Galef, who does a podcast called Rationally Speaking, and she was having a conversation with Ezra Klein on his podcast, talking about disagreement and bias and how it just seems impossible a lot of times to have productive conversations with people and how even very intelligent people, maybe even more so than less intelligent people, can just uh, rationalize just about anything. Motivated reasoning is something that highly educated, intelligent people do better than uh, people that don't have those skills. And there's so much information out there now that you can really just, um, you can justify anything and uh, what Julia Galef was talking about was um, what she referenced somebody, the last name Graham. I've already forgotten his name, but the importance of keeping one's identity small. And this really made sense to me and uh, reminds me of a recent disagreement my wife and I had where uh, if you have a conversation with someone and it pushes that identity button in them, or the, the level of defensiveness uh, just immediately goes through the roof. And you, you literally, it seems impossible to have a conversation with someone when their identity is triggered in some way. Because, um, yeah, they just, they're too invested in the argument. There's no, there can't really be a lack of open-mindedness when your identity's on the line. And I find this, you know, with experts and, and academics that are just so invested in a certain point of view that uh, to question that, I mean, you can't just playfully or, uh, you know, dialogically engage in 
a conversation where you're questioning various premises if if that belief system is really integral to someone's identity. So I've harped on this a lot. Um, I consider myself, for lack of a better term, a disidentitarian, if that is even a word at all. Um, I just consider not only as identity in general something that is to be uh, weakened, countered, uh, I don't know what the word is, but I think it's maybe a, a Buddhist perspective or something, uh, although of course I don't identify as a Buddhist, but I do have an, an idea or a value system that it seems to me to be, uh, it just seems to me that you want to whenever, wherever you find an identity, to the extent that you can even be aware of it dimly, um, you would want to loosen it. You'd want to disidentify from especially a smaller identity to something larger. Um, So that's, I think, what, getting back to this, keep your identity small. I mean, it never made sense to me to have a strong identity with your skin color or uh, ancestry or any of these things. I mean, you could acknowledge these things, but to to identify with them just seems to immediately draw a self-other line and just create problems that are um, unnecessary. So anyway, just some random thoughts. I'm going to hit pause for now and check the time and see... uh, when my wife and my mother-in-law might be joining me here at the luxurious Tampa airport. We're talking about the art of the riff, right? I mean, let's not, let's just lean this right up against the cabinet. was quite a profound experience to spend two afternoons just uh, chatting with my wife's grand uncle Al. The guy's 89 years old and he lives in a one of those gated mobile home communities in uh, Tampa, Florida. And he doesn't have any family that lives there. And uh, when I heard that we were going to visit him and his health wasn't great, and he was 89, I just pictured a, you know, an extremely frail person in a wheelchair that we would be speaking very loudly to and sort of patting on the head in a condescending way, talking about the weather and that sort of thing. 
But uh, I couldn't have been more off base. I mean, Al, even at 89, I mean, first of all, the guy, his most of his hair is still black. He's got a little bit of gray, but um, I don't know how that's even possible. I did ask him, and he said he does not dye his hair. He just, He's just got some youthful genes, but he's also you know, steady on his feet. He exercises every day. He, he goes for walks. Even he said that he, uh, he dances, which I got a kick out of because that's uh, one of the things that I do to stay in shape is just kind of rock out and dance, and it feels like a super healthy thing to do. So he dances. He, he goes to uh, Al-Anon meetings. He has a, you know, a social network through that. And he does have, uh, you know, kids and grandkids that come to visit from other parts of the country. But the guy, what struck me most about him is he, he still has a curiosity and uh, a self-awareness and just something that seemed, it seems unusual in any human, but much less an 89-year-old man. And uh, my wife, my mother-in-law, and, and Al, we just sat in front of the bay window of his little mobile home and we just talked about politics addiction religion all the question uh the topics that uh typically are difficult to talk about and it was just incredible how open-minded um introspective uh this guy is it was just it was really amazing and i i just found him to be very inspiring and uh, I had forgotten, it's been 13 years since I've seen Al, and he, he actually was the man who presided over my uh, my wedding. And I, I forgot the story of even how that came to be. I mean, he wasn't like a licensed preacher or anything like that, so we actually had to get married in the courthouse the morning before, and, and Al just performed the, the actual ceremony. He was just, you know, this spiritual dude. And um, he, he struck me that way then when I, I just met him to talk to him and, and kind of get a sense of how the, the wedding ceremony was going to go. And all these years later, he still, he still strikes me that way. So I just found the guy fascinating. And it was really heartbreaking, though, just to say goodbye to him because I could tell that the the stimulating conversation was a real tonic for him. I mean, he doesn't, he said so himself that he doesn't typically have those kinds of discussions with anyone. I mean, not his family, he just doesn't have people in his life that he can just have deep philosophical, open-ended, long-form conversations with. And uh, many of us don't. Uh, many of us just don't uh, make the time or have the the context where we can have conversations like that. So it was, it was just uh, a great experience at first. Uh, I wasn't that thrilled about going because I'm, I'm so attached to my free time. I wanted to have a week of spring break just at my house fooling around with my creative projects, but I'm really glad I went. Now I'm back home. My wife had to run out of town for uh, to give a talk um, for the university the weather is just stunningly beautiful. 
it's been in the low 80s during the day and just cools off. It's the evening. It's about six in the evening now, and it's the sun is still out, and it's just just sitting on my back deck area. There's a breeze blowing, and it's just just a wonderful day. I still do feel like uh, you know I'm still having some of those same struggles with letting too much time slip away in fruitless activities and um, too much input, not enough solitude, not enough focused creativity, but uh, I think maybe just coming out of the deck and, and, and speaking uh, just off the cuff is my way of sort of getting back on the horse. So right now I'm just looking at the blue sky and uh, birds sitting in one of my trees and I've got a beer. The sun is starting to set. And uh, it's just a wonderful spring break kind of day. And uh, that's really all I need to say in this moment. You told me I was beautiful and you loved me more than life. And then you cut your wrists up With a rusty kitchen knife We found you in the bathtub And your eyes were open wide Yeah, mommy Always right there by your side. But don't worry, Mama. I won't cry. I'll just bury you inside where nothing ever dies. You cannot close your eyes You told me not to tell Or that we in both up in hell But if we'd ask him for forgiveness then the world so be well Hello Bob Hello Bobby It's all the new It's all the new